I live in Israel. This season is dedicated to the memory of the 1,400 of my countrymen who were massacred on October 7th, and the 240 people that were kidnapped and are being held hostage by the terrorist organization Hamas. Hopefully they will be returned to their families as soon as possible, and hopefully this terrible war will be able to come to a peaceful end very soon. Hello everyone and welcome to Minute 75 of Season 6 of Move Around Minute, the daily podcast where we take a Capra-esque journey through the 1946 classic, It's a Wonderful Life, one minute at a time. I'm Rob and joining me to finish off this week is Richard Durham of Akira Minute. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Are, are you in the nest? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's just my cat. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> All right. So the minute 75 begins with uh, George wondering why Mary would actually want to be with him and ends with uh, Mary doing uh, home improvements. Yeah. So, you know, all, all week we've been spending time in Potter's office, and yesterday we, we finally uh, spent a day in the dilapidated home of George and Mary that is just filled with love. I think that that's, that's what keeps them going. You don't need anything else there for them. That's what they, you know, all, what's, what's the phrase? All you need is love. <laughs> so the, that seems to work for them. You know, they, they he sort of woke her up. Do you think she was sleeping, or do you think she was just... Uh, you know, fake sleeping. We didn't. We didn't, uh, we didn't talk I think about she that was yesterday. Probably, no, we didn't. I think she was probably dozing on and off. Because, because he, it wasn't as if he was making sleep. any noise. The only noise that was happening no. was the, you know, where the thoughts reverberating in his brain. You know, and, and yeah. I mean, they, they might have a a some sort of some sort of uh, neural connection, but I, I don't think it would be loud enough to have woken uh, Mary up. Yeah, that, that would be my guess. <laughs> yeah, I think she was kind of like, like I said, kind of light sleep, kind of in the early stages, dozing, kind of dimly aware of what was going on. Right. Okay, that makes sense. And I mean, like you mentioned that uh, she had the the window, you know, the she'd had the shades up, so the the room was full of lights. So maybe her him walking past the the window was enough of a change right to uh for her to notice true that's true and so we ended things yesterday with with george starting to ask her a question by saying why in the world and the the continuation of that question is today where he continues and says did you ever marry a guy like me and i gotta say i love her answer you know remember she's she was just sleeping or dozing or whatever it is but she's still on the ball and is able to respond and say, well, because I didn't want to become an old maid. So, I mean, it's, uh, you see, I've always had a problem with this movie referring to Mary as an old maid at any point. 
because she's really not that old. I mean, if if George is 27, 28, and we pretty much established earlier in this movie that she is probably Harry's age. So she's two years younger. So she's 25 at this point. Okay, so she's she's concerned that at 25 she would have been become an old maid. Or if we jump ahead to what goes on later in the movie, you know, so they're in their late 30s by, you know, the, the, the end of this movie where she is, quote unquote, an old maid, you know, yeah, uh, in Pottersville. Old maid, yeah. That's right. Yeah. You know, I, maybe it has something to do with the time. You know, maybe back in the 1930s and 40s, a woman of that age would be considered an old maid. Today, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, you would think of someone as an old maid if they're probably in their, I don't know, late 60s, early 70s and, and by themselves. <laughs> you know, that's that's what I would say. Yeah. <laughs> so this, uh, this exchange here, I didn't want to be an old man. And then he says what? Um, he says, well, you could have married like Sam. You could have married Sam or anybody else in town. And then she says, I didn't want to marry anybody else in town because I want my baby to look so like this. This is the key, as we said yesterday, to the entire movie. So I think it was about a year ago, there were a couple of articles about Mary in uh, in this movie, because this is like, a, you know, you know, a favorite Christmas movie. And I think a lot of people were thinking, you know, the past few years we've been through, uh, you know, uh, the feminist movement. We've been through Me Too. And let's, you know, uh, in the general mood of just taking a look at everything. Um, is this movie like fair to the women characters and is it fair to marry? Is there like, is this a, uh, a character, a woman character who, you know, is treated fairly? Is she just window dressing? And a lot of the, the conclusions like that, that uh, some writers drew was that, she is the one with the most agency in the entire movie. She is the one that basically orchestrated George's life. She mm-hmm. right, behind so, the scenes, though. She did it all behind, behind the, scenes. the scenes. Yes, she is. But she had the uh, the insight and the kind of the the emotional intelligence and kind of the the uh kind of the the skills to manage situations to kind of steer things uh into kind of the life that she wanted right this Mm -hmm. is told this is this is what this is the life this is not the life that george envisioned for himself but this is totally the life that mary envisioned for herself from the beginning she she had a vision of what she wanted and she got it right and uh so there was and there's you know in particular people were like it's it's kind of ridiculous that she would be an old maid like donna reed donna reed like the luminous 1940s donna reed would be an old maid but that was that would have been her choice right and that's the key here that she said 
I won't want, I don't want to. It's not like she has no obligation like uh, to marry anybody. And so it's totally her choice that uh, if she wouldn't, if she can't have George, then she's not interested in anybody else. Right. I mean, again, we, you know, anyone who pays, who's paid attention to what's going on in this movie, even the first time we meet Mary, she already knows that she wants to spend her life with George. Yep. Yeah. You know, and she does all that she can by even getting her brother, you know, at the dance to, to, to convince uh, George to just have one dance with her, you know, to, 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 to get him out of the way, you know, that type of thing. So I, you know, I, I think you're hundred percent right. I mean, she, she is the driving force behind everything that happens here. I mean, come on, we discussed this a few weeks ago. How did she plan you know, she went and bought the the the, the house um, somehow. Yeah. You know, I don't know where she got the money. You know, the two thousand dollars that they have, they gave away, and that was all the money that were they were those spending cash. You know, she had money to buy the house, and you know, at, at least fix it up a little bit uh, in order for them yeah. to to be. And and I doubt she did it on that day. You know, this is something she must have planned beforehand. And she recruited Bert and Ernie, so she's like enlisting Bert, other Ernie, and to, another guy. You know, did you notice that there? You know that there was a third guy there. Oh, that's right, the guy who was like complaining about the company posters. That's yeah. right, but he he doesn't have a name anywhere, so I couldn't find out who who the actor is who played him because in even in the script he's just referred to as third man. Third man. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a whole other movie. <laughs> Basically. So do uh, do we know what company he's talking about? Nope. Like, no idea. The company that owns the posters. No idea. <laughs> the company that owns uh travel posters and Liverpool posters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um so yeah, I mean the the again the the idea of calling her an old maid. I want to go back there for a little bit because, you know, the the the. Do you know where the term comes from, old maid? Or do you know what the the official no. term for an unmarried older woman would be? The official term. I will tell you that you know in. Um, so my wife had a joke kind of about this because. Uh, my my wife's Japanese, and in Japan, the um, kind of the, the Christmas and New Year's are kind of switched. Like New Year's is a big family holiday, you gather with your family and kind of eat a special meal and kind of you know see the New Year. And then Christmas, for a long time now, has been kind of a date holiday. Uh, where couples get together and like they eat like Christmas cake and maybe they have Kentucky Fried Chicken or go to Tokyo Disney or something. Oh right? wow! So you've now, you've a, now answered. Um, I'm, I'm just going to interrupt you for a second because you've now answered a question that I've been asking for four seasons, trying to figure out why the Nakatomi build uh, company would have a party <laughs> on Christmas Eve and make all of their employees come to work on a Friday or Saturday night. So now I understand why, because they don't care about, uh, you know, for, yeah. for for anyone in the Nakatomi hierarchy, you know, that's not what you do on Christmas. You, you don't have to have a family on Christmas. The family's for a week later. There you go. 
Thank you, Richard. Exactly. <laughs> I've been I've been waiting four seasons for for that answer, and and I finally got. I I didn't know I I should have turned to you earlier. Yeah. <laughs> so the uh, so Christmas cake is a big right. So you girlfriend Christmas cake, and you and you eat it together. So unmarried women over the age of twenty five are referred to as Christmas cake because nobody wants to have it after the twenty fifth. Interesting. So I had this joke with my wife. I met her. Uh, when I met her, she joked, oh, well, I'm I'm New Year's Eve cake because <laughs> she was she was in her 30s at that point. Uh-huh. So that's that's <laughs> that would be in Japan. That would be considered an old maid. Oh, wow. Uh, Mary definitely would be considered an old maid in her in her late 30s. OK. That, that that's fair. So I mean, the 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 official term for an unmarried woman is a spinster. Official. Hey, exactly. It is. It is. Like it it's the term that refers to an unmarried woman who is older than what is perceived as the prime age range range during which women usually marry, and it can also indicate that the woman is considered unlikely to ever marry. And so a synonymous term of this is old maid for for other women. But there's there's nothing when you talk about uh, men. The, the closest you get is a bachelor or a confirmed bachelor, but that doesn't yeah. sound as uh, degrading as calling someone either an old maid or a spinster. You know, so it's again, it's to me, it sounds very archa- archaic to to use that term. You know, an old maid or a spinster. I think the first time I heard this phrase was in relation to the card game. I'm like, why is this? Okay, we're we're that was the next thing I was going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Because I remember playing the card games, like, why is this? What does this card game have to do with? Like, an, my, my like as a kid, I was like, like made made me think of like milkmaid. It's like, why is this card game have to do with like, like older women who are like milking cows? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you, you see, you 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 knew that that's where I was going to go. Apparently, so there is a card game known as Old Maid, which was became popular in the nineteenth century. And it is a card game for at least two people. Uh, you can play with with more people. Also, it, uh, it they claim that it possibly came from an ancient uh, European gambling game, in in which the loser then pays for all the drinks. Um, okay. There is a book that was published in 1831 in in America uh, by Eliza Leslie, which states the the rules of of the game. And it was it was called Old Maid if it was played by girls, or Old Bachelor if it was played by boys. Okay. Okay, and the the um, you know, as as I said, the the uh, the goal of the game is to find out who actually has to then who's the loser who has to pay for the next round of drinks. You know, when using it as a drinking game. Uh, so you would have a a deck of cards, and you would use either. Uh, you know, one of the, the the queens. It doesn't matter which one you would use. It could be the diamond, jack, spades, uh, hearts. And the the idea is is that whoever is left with that card at the end of the game is considered the the old maid. Okay, so I mean, I, I have rules here from from 1831. I mean, the the game is is a little different nowadays than than the way it is then. Um, I mean, I remember as a kid playing the game with special uh cards yeah you know yeah. uh with like a picture of an old maid like that's right right that's right 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think I had the same same cards. Yeah, right. Um, and the the idea is basically to collect pairs. And after you collect a pair, then you 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 put it put it down, and you you're you're every time you're you're you hold up the the cards, and someone picks picks a card from your uh, fanned cards. And the idea is you want them to pick the old maid so that you don't get stuck with it at the end. Because when you pick uh, a card and then you have a pair, so then you can put the pair down and you no longer are holding that. And then, you know, whoever's left at the end with uh, with with the card is known as the, the old maid. So uh, if you played old bachelor, would you then use like remove one of the kings? No, you would use one of the queens? jacks. No, you actually the jacks. according to to what I what I read here, you would use one of the jacks. I guess the king is you know the king can can always be a uh, the king can't be a bachelor. I guess you know it's what he's, I guess <laughs> you know, he has it, to have an heir somehow. <laughs> that's right, exactly. You know, and it doesn't need to be from the queen. You know, <laughs> so you know, hey, if that works, why not? <laughs> I mean, some 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 people play that the Joker. Mm-hmm. That's considered the old maid card, you know, if you're playing with a regular deck of cards. I mean, again, it doesn't, doesn't matter what card. You can say, okay, whoever has the two of clubs is the old maid. You know, that, that uh, it doesn't really – that that's not what affects the the way that the game is played. I mean, it's funny how, how he says you could have married Sam Wainwright. I don't know if you've noticed this, but when, when we uh, dove into the scene where Sam called and was uh, – uh, when, when I always assumed that he was courting – you know, Mary over the phone, you know, when Mary's, when Ma Bailey, uh, Ma, sorry, when Mrs. Hatch Ma says, Hatch. Yeah. Ma Hatch, when, when she says, oh, Sam Wainwright's going to call. Did, did you notice Sam what? Sam Wainwright's calling from New York tonight. That's right. Did, did you notice what Sam is doing while he's talking to her? He's fending off some uh, some uh, young lady like in a fur coat. That's and, like, right. Jewels and everything. That's right. Yeah. Which, which which means that Sam Wainwright is not interested in Mary at all. <laughs> you know he he had some you know some some girl on the side in New York, and that's what he was interested in. And then we end up meeting his wife, who was again, you know, someone acting very similar. To, to to the to the woman in New York. I'm I'm trying to remember if it was. It might even be that that we met his wife then. And actually, maybe it was someone else. I, I don't remember. But the idea is, is that you know it's funny that George is still under the illusion that you know Sam Wainwright actually wanted to marry Mary. Well, he did say, "What are you doing? I'm stealing my girl." I mean, and he says, "What I are you doing? Stealing a faithful." But he's would. but but again, he says that line, and he's holding hands. With this woman, you know, behind him. So yeah. George I mean, could have like perceived said, it, it. It's possible that George perceived it as truth. I mean, it wasn't a video conference call. You know, they weren't on Zoom. Where, <laughs> where hey, who's that woman behind you over there? <laughs> no. <laughs> so, I, I mean, again, anyone paying attention knows that, that Sam really wasn't interested in Mary. But George doesn't know that. Which is fine, you know. It's fine for George to 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 bring that up because of that. I I mean, I think he, I think Sam was still interested, but he wasn't, he wasn't cr- going to be crushed. He had other options, and he probably wasn't. He probably would have fooled around. But he called. He but Mary, he, Mary anyway. But he was calling to get the two of them in on the ground floor of his his bean uh, factory. Yeah. You know. It, yeah. 
he's kind of happy-go-lucky. Hey, look, yeah. In terms of romance, I guess. Yeah. That's right. And so then Mary basically says to him, well, I don't want to marry anybody else in town. I want my baby to look like you. And George continues and says, you didn't even have a honeymoon. I promised you. And then, you know, you slowly see uh, recognition in his in, in his face as to what was just said. He was like, well, wait a second. Let, rewind a second. <laughs> what did you just say? Would you have interpreted that as, oh, you're you're telling me you're pregnant? Because I would have just said, oh, you know, some future baby. I would. That's have, right. I would have been totally oblivious. That's to right. That. Yeah, me too, for sure. I mean, it's, it's a very strange way to to say it that way. You know, but but she like smiles at as smiles at him as she says it. So maybe that that's sort of the hint. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Not really sure, but again, it's it's an effective way to 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 tell to to tell your husband that you're pregnant. <laughs> I guess you know, he's, back in 1934. <laughs> yeah, you know, and then uh, you know, and and I like the fact that that before even uh, the before the recognition really uh, seeps in, you know, he he was telling her that he promised that he would take her on a honeymoon at some point. And just never got around to it after everything that happened on the run of the bank and stuff like that. And then he goes, you're what? And she goes, my baby. And he looks at her and goes, you're, you're Mary. You on the nest. Um, and are, are you, are you familiar with that term? Besides in this movie, I now know I need to ask you that. Yeah. <laughs> on the nest. I mean, it's, yeah, I guess. I mean, it's kind of self-explanatory, is it not? You know, it refers to uh, to like a like you're talking about like a bird, yeah, sitting bird on, being on that, yeah, sitting on an egg, yeah, yeah. 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 But I, I mean, I've never heard that phrase used elsewhere besides here. And even looking it up, I, I couldn't find. I mean, on the Urban Dictionary, it gave me something completely different. But I've also always been warned. <laughs> To, to look to never look at the urban dictionary because it will give you what is it now I gotta know what it says it's an immature say? boy who has sudden uh, uh, sudden access to easy sex and as a result stops uh, concentrating on his job or study or friends or anything else uh, wow or it could mean someone who is mildly stoned 24 <laughs> 7 that's 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 new to me. That's, yes, me too. I have not heard that usage. I've never heard either of those usages before. So, you know, maybe maybe what he's saying is, is that, Mary, you've been stoned. You know, <laughs> what are you doing are with you, that Are you pot, tripping? Mary, Mary <laughs> you you tripping? Uh, it could be that's what he's saying. <laughs> it's actually very possible that that's what he's saying. It would It would make sense. So, um, and, you know, he, he's starting to understand what's really going on here. And she goes, George Bailey lassos stork. And he goes, lassos a stork. You mean you? So, you see, he didn't get it until now. He still wasn't sure. <laughs> I, that's one of, like, the, the most awkward line readings in the whole movie. George Bailey lassos stork. I don't know yeah. why. It just... <laughs> yeah. Why? Why do you think uh, people associate storks with uh, 
with babies. Do you have any idea? I don't. I don't know where that. It's some kind of like fairy tale or something, but I'm not sure where that came from. Right. So there's there's an, a an ancient legend of uh, European folklore that the white stork is responsible for bringing babies to new parents. Um, in uh, the 19th century, Hans Christian Andersen uh, wrote a, a story called The Storks, which uh, helped popularize this this idea. There are German legends that say that that storks found find babies in caves or marshes and bring them to households in a basket being held in their beaks. And the babies would then be given to the mother or dropped down the chimney. And uh, if they, they were interested in having children, they would put like candy on the windowsill so that the stork would know. Um, yeah, it, it's just... A, we didn't see any candy on the windowsill here. In the no, bedroom. no, not at all. Well, because it's, it's the middle of the night. Someone, someone already ate it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, again, it's, it's uh, you know, the, the people say that, 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 uh, the, the, that the, the stork fable became popular because people just didn't want to discuss sex and procreation with their children. So they just said, hey, well, okay, we'll, we'll adopt this idea. <laughs> yeah, the stork is going to bring a baby. Which, which I always find very funny that that's what people, you know, you, you see in, in cartoons and, and things like that where, yeah. you know, the, the storks are flying and they're, you know, they have diaper, they, they're, they're holding the baby by the diaper, you know, in yep. their beak and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, that, that's why, uh, the, ah, here's something very interesting. In, in medieval England, storks were associated with adultery. Hmm. I don't really know how that fits in there. Yeah, you know, it's like okay, if a adultery if a, by is it adultery by the man or the the woman? It doesn't say because I know like there's you know the people say like when a the woman commits adultery, there's like you know the the man wears cuckold's horns. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't, doesn't say. It just says that it just says here that that storks were were associated with adultery. Possibly inspired by their courtship rituals, ah, because the I think the 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 I think the bird itself is not necessarily a bird that mate forever For life. Or yeah. Anything? Okay. Yeah, they're they're considered serial monogamous. There's like a mating thing. Okay. Yeah, they they after after various migrations they change mates uh, all the time. So yeah, I guess that's uh, maybe that's part of it. It's the idea that okay, you're like a stork, you just keep changing. Uh, you know your your mate along the way. Okay. Don't know. Okay. And then George was you. You mean you? What is it? A boy or a girl? You know. I guess George didn't know about ultrasound at the time. You know. <laughs> so, no, I don't know. When did ultrasound become a thing? Yeah, I, I don't know. But well, let's put it this way. I know that I was born in in the the early seventies, and they did not. They they were not using ultrasound at the time, uh, because my mother did not know she was having twins. Because they didn't do an ultrasound. <laughs> uh, same, same, same with me. Oh wow! There you go. My my brother was born, and the doctor said this one's not big enough. Oh, okay. <laughs> so my you got another one in there. That's right. My sister was born, and then they're like, "Hey, there's another one." <laughs> so, yeah. Wow, that's really cool that we that we both have that in common. <laughs> yeah. And and then uh, Mary emphatically uh, uh, shakes her head yes and goes, mm-hmm. 
Meaning, which mm-hmm. I would imply that that means she's having twins. You know. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of a leap, I think. Well, a boy or girl, and she goes, yes. <laughs> you know, it, it also makes me start to wonder if, if uh, you know, if George really understands how babies are born. <laughs> Do you think they were trying to uh, to get pregnant? around this time my assumption is no <laughs> because he seems right. really really shocked that this is a possibility mm. maybe he's just coming home really late and that's why it's less of a possibility you know she's always fast asleep when he gets home so i don't know <laughs> you don't know huh? okay yeah and then the the, the this we get the uh, famous uh, scene swipe in between scenes. So we before we leave Donna Reed. Okay. You have any other uh any other favorite Donna Reed performances? Um well this is my favorite. There's no question about that because I think she's she's perfect as Mary here. Yeah. Um I I cannot think of something that she does better. Um I know she had the Donna Reed show. <laughs> and I'm sure that I've seen her in other movies. <laughs> yeah, she had the Donna Reed show. Um, I love her performance as a prostitute in uh, From Here to Eternity. Um, Not just because that's just kind of so against type, but uh, I think that is a really good performance. There's there's a couple scenes that she has with Montgomery that are very, you know, they're very emotionally charged. And and she (laughs) she does. It's a fantastic performance in that one. Yeah, I mean, I remember seeing her in it, and uh, I, I, if I remember correctly, she was nominated for an Oscar for her work there, uh, partially because uh, you know she, makes sense. It's it's very uh, different from what uh, everyone is used to seeing her, you know, in that type yeah. of role. Um, yeah, that is the it, she actually won an Oscar for it. Wow, what do you know? Not only was she nominated, oh, okay. this was the only time she was nominated, and she won an Oscar for best best supporting yeah. actor. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, I like that that also, but I still think she does a better job here uh, because it's 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 a it's a role that you can uh, you can really like you know um, she's a very likable character here in this movie. She's not as likable in From Here to Eternity uh, unless you're willing to pay enough for it, you know that type of thing. But <laughs> <laughs> well, she's very like at the the. Uh... There's that scene where she tries to convince Montgomery Cliff like not to go back to his unit, right? Because right. he's been hiding out like at her place, and she's mm-hmm. like, it's just eruption of emotion where she screams at him, "You're, yeah, you're a twenty year man." She says it like derisively. That's like, uh, I mean, like, and then at the end of the picture where she's telling lies about her boyfriend to like the other the other woman she uh, meets on the boat. Like she's, it's a very kind of mini layered, kind of very um, self-deceptive character, which is great. But this, I, not to take away, I agree with you. This performance is, I mean, we already talked about how, you know, she's really, she can be looked at as the ultimate protagonist of the movie. And it's very, her, she's very likable in this movie as you said, and it's, there's a lot of subtlety 
in the way she plays and you can see the meaning behind a lot of the looks and the gestures she has and the reactions. So it's, this is a performance that, I mean, this movie is so watchable and you can go over it again and again, and you can keep finding new things to like about her performance. Here, mm -hmm, for for sure. sure. Completely. Right. Okay. So then, then we, we, we have the, 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 the perfect uh, scene swipe here. And then we were back to a voiceover. We hear Joseph, uh, you know, giving a nice uh, continuation of an explanation to Clarence as to what's going on. He goes, now you've probably already guessed that George never leaves Bedford Falls. Clarence says, no. Mary had her baby, a boy. Then she had another one, a girl. Day after day, she worked away remaking the old Granville house. So first of all, I like the way how they're, uh, truncating, uh, I guess, about 12 years into uh, a, a short description. You know, I mean, we'll, we'll get more into it next week when we, we discuss it all. But yeah, this is this is kind of the training montage. That's right. That's right. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> or like this is like instead of Mr. T like putting duct tape on like a machine gun, right? This is the, this is for the you know, That's getting right. ready for the, you know, the the big uh, montage here. Yeah, they're the, just uh, they're just missing the the background music. Hatch. Yeah. For all those not for all those who don't together. understand what we're talking about, it's it's the eighteen. Yeah. So. <laughs> but but yeah, it's uh it it's a great montage. It's great. The first of all, they 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 show us. Uh, you know, everything that's being talked about, they show us very briefly. You know, we see, yeah. you know, we, we see when, when he says George stays in Bedford Falls, we see him, you know, walking to work, not necessarily happy, but, but still going to the office. Um, then we, we see a baby, uh, you know, in a hospital, a baby, the baby's crying. And then we see uh, Mary dealing with one baby and then a toddler in a crib at the same time. Um, and then we, we see her, you know, just working in the house and she's, she, she's wallpapering, you know, the room, it, painting the, the window frames. That's right. Yeah. And it goes back to what we were talking about, uh, you know, earlier this week, how you can see the water damage that she's covering over. So she really is yeah. turning this place into a livable house, you know, and this was her plan the whole, the whole way through. So I, I, I like the way that they're, you know, that, that, that they're very quickly showing us this stuff, but, but it seeps in because it's telling us, okay, this is who uh, Mary is. Mary wants to make a home for her and George here um, and for, for their, their She's kids. putting in the work. That's yeah. right. She's making the plan and she's putting in the work. Well, because she doesn't have to go work in the library because she's married. That's true. You know, that's, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's what this movie is saying. <laughs> if you have a husband like George Bailey who's making forty-five dollars a week, you're not an old maid. Yeah. That's right, and you don't need, and you can stay home and 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 fix up the place. You know, over the period of years. I mean, think about it. Let's say, let's say this baby, the the first baby is two or three. So she's putting up wallpaper like three years after, uh, after she tells George that she's pregnant. <laughs> you know, it took her it took her a little bit of time to get that done. But again, there's it's, it's done very a nicely. lot of uh, there's when she's painting the window frame, there's like a lot of 
stuff on the table. <laughs> she's got turpentine. That's right. She's got paint. And then she's got like a whole other like smaller jars or canisters or I don't know what those are. They look like little potions. She's <laughs> and one of them looks like maybe a whiskey bottle. You know, she needs to take a couple swigs of whiskey uh, as she's doing all this work. Potion. Potions like uh like uh Kiki's mom at the beginning of Kiki's delivery service. There you go. Exactly. Potion room. There you go. That, that, that makes sense. And and it looks like there's a bucket uh, being used as a lampshade. Yeah. Because it doesn't look like a typical lampshade. No. But again, it, you know, just, yeah, just in these few seconds, it tells us so much about the life of, of George and Mary. And and I just love the way they I do it. I love the... the- yeah, I love their her like cap too. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the cap actually reminds me cap or kind of it reminds me the way she wears the cap is is what you see in uh, a league of their own. You know, a shout out to uh, to Journey. Yes. yes. You know, that that is that's that's what May would wear, you know. Uh, that's, that's Madonna's hat <laughs> in the movie. Yeah. Totally. So yeah, that's very cool. And people are going to have to come back next week to to, to hear more about uh, what Joseph gives as narration in order to to let time go by a lot quicker. All right. So, Richard, do you have anything else you want to say about uh, this particular minute? No, no, nothing earth shattering. Okay. Good. Okay, that's fair. Uh, so every Friday I have a segment called Oscar Oops. Uh, the idea behind it is, is we've had Oscars for the past 95 years. There's always a lot of controversy as to whether the Oscars made the right choice or didn't make the right choice. You know, everyone has their own opinions as to which movies uh, deserve to win that didn't win. And so the idea here is to let my, my guests uh, tell me their opinions on that. Like, what are the top five movies that they think should have won that that didn't win and obviously you know it needs to be something that was nominated for best picture that year so uh unfortunately akira cannot be uh uh one of your five <laughs> no no uh, actually none of your ghibli movies uh, can. <laughs> no sorry all right uh number five is uh from 2014 uh boyhood uh, which uh, was beat by Birdman. I uh, did not care for Birdman. It really, I, I don't think that's a very, very good film. But Boyhood, I think it's it's a unique film. It's something I don't think that has anybody has done before or since filming a, you know, doing a film over so many years. Tracing that wasn't a documentary. Actor. That's the thing. You know, you have that seven. That wasn't up. a documentary. Right. You have seven up yeah. and all that stuff, which uh, which I've always yeah, enjoyed. Very good point. You know. Yeah. I was actually saw like some of the um, some of the behind the scenes or some of like the extra footage or extra features, like some of like the cast interviews uh, or the um, the interview panels, mm-hmm. uh, like. Uh, that were like on the extras in the DVD with some of which are like, like maybe better than the movie. Cause there was, um, Patricia Arquette. 
she talked about when the, she saw the premiere and uh, she saw the scene. There's one scene where uh, the boy is like in this like abandoned house with a bunch of his friends and they're like throwing like uh, saw blades like at a like at a board or something or doing something else kind of like a little bit sketchy and maybe like sipping beer. And she hadn't seen that. She had like no idea that that scene had been filmed. She oh, hadn't wow. seen anything. And she got like angry at his character. <laughs> it was like as like a mother. Oh, wow. She was so angry that he had done something so dangerous <laughs> and hadn't told her about it. Oh, wow. That's very cool. Uh, very. Uh, uh, I. Yeah, I, it's something I don't know if it's like has like an impact that maybe you would expect, but it's um, like I said, it's something you know nobody else has done as a dramatic presentation, and uh, it's something I th- think about. I still think about every once in a while. So a very good film. Number four, twenty seventeen. Uh, Get Out, I think, should have won instead of The Shape of Water. Remember, uh, people at the time when the the Shape of Water won were like people who um, hadn't seen it or something. Go, what, why? Why does Hollywood like this? Is there some random scene in there where there's like somebody about the magic of cinema? And it turns out, <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> it's scene. It's just it just kind of goes to show like you know what a navel gazing group of people the Academy is. But uh, yeah. anyway, so that's number four. Number three, so 1939, The Wizard of Oz, I think, should have won over Gone with the Wind, especially looking back 84 years later. I think it's not only is it like a better film, like a better kind of uh, uh, with a better message, it just has more impact and more staying power, I think, than the other one. Right. I mean, that, that's always one of the problems with, with uh, you know, looking at movies uh, 80 years later, you get more of an idea as to what really was going on yeah. uh, than, you know, than the perspective that people have at the moment. Which I think yeah. is a big, uh, a big, yeah, a big part of the, my next choice, number two, 1990. You can kind of see, like, politically how Dances with Wolves, especially with its, I appreciate its use of the actual uh, Native American language in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that was something that was really talked about. And it's, you know, very good for representation. But Goodfellas was a much better movie just all around. Um, it probably should have gotten the Oscar. And then okay. number one, uh, 1941, I'm sure probably other people have brought this up. Who remembers How Green Was My Valley? Who even remembers <laughs> what them? Uh, Fraser Crane. Fraser Crane. <laughs> okay. But you had, not only did you have Citizen Kane that year, uh, but uh, the Maltese Falcon was also nominated. I probably would have given the award to Citizen Kane. But the Maltese Falcon, I think, is a perfect film, and that is a movie that I watch probably once a year, and can never. Okay, so which of. which of them is getting the points? Do I give it to Citizen Kane or give it to Maltese? I Falcon? think you give it to Citizen Kane. Okay. Are you tabulating points? Or are you gonna like at the of end of the season have like? 
Okay. Of course. I, I don't do these things randomly. Come on. There's there's a method to this man. Okay, great. Thank you very much for that list. I appreciate that. Uh, would you like to, one last time this week, tell people uh, where they can find you? Yeah, you can go to my website, DonnaMarcy.com. That had link, has links to my two podcasts, Akita Minute. You can also find it at uh where my co-host Jack Stoll and I uh, talk about uh, the 1988 blockbuster anime classic Akita, one minute at a time. And uh, my other podcast, Ghibli Minute, which you can find at ghibliminute.com, where uh, my daughter and I have talk about, but what is it, Nausicaa, Laputa, Totoro, Grave of the Fireflies, and then about half of Kiki's Delivery Service, so four and a half Ghibli movies, minute by minute, or uh, let's see, what do we say? one minute at a time or minute by minute is another way to say that. Yeah. Okay. Great. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Move Rob Minute. You can find me on Facebook, you can find me on Twitter, and you can find me on my website, moverabminute.com. So Richard, thank you very much for joining me this week. I had a great discussion with you. I think uh, we, we we pointed out some really nice things that that, that happened here. So thank you for, for taking the time to, to join me. Thanks for having me. All right. And I will be back on Monday, but until then, everyone should have a great weekend. And until Monday, hot dog. Hot dog. I love you truly, truly did. Life with its sorrow, life with its tears. 